0: Welcome to Change and Sustain, where we discuss driving sustainable change in your organization through enabling people, process, systems, and technology. Today, we're focusing on people. And the headline for our episode is, does the Department of No exist in your business? All right, Brian, I'm looking forward to this one. So Department of Know is that part of the business who says that idea won't fly here. No, not invented here. That's what we mean by the department of no, it's a resistance. They have lots of agents and lots of power. We've seen this over a three-decade career, Brian. I know you have some good
1: observations on this. Yeah, we we, as consultants, one of the advantages of being a consultant is you get to see lots and lots of Different organizations and how they function. We've seen some of the best companies, we've seen some of the worst companies. You get to experience how these companies deal with their challenges. And we tend to think of an evolutionary ladder or a spectrum of companies. There are some at the top of that ladder that are absolutely great. These are the best run businesses you might come across on the highest rungs there are some other organizations that we step into that are on the very lowest rungs of that ladder in you know, a very sort of primitive state, if you like. And that's how we tend to think of organizations as being somewhere on the evolutionary ladder. It's a great an- analogy. And I think the spacing of the of the steps on the ladders changes as well, doesn't it? Oh, right. yeah, it's absolutely. So it, it's a little counterintuitive, but I tend to think of it this way. Those rungs at the bottom of the ladder, it's fairly easy to go from one to the other. You know, when you are not very advanced in your systems, in your processes, in your people, all these various things, it's easy to make progress. You can make a 10% improvement by doing some very basic things, installing some very basic stuff, if you like. So you, you get lots of progress, you can get it quickly, and you get a good return for investing that sort of change resource, if you like, it's different at the top of the ladder. Just gaining a 1% change, gaining a 1% improvement, if you are a world-class organization is extraordinarily hard. The rungs are just so much further apart and moving from one rung to the other just doesn't gain you that much, if you like. So only the most dedicated of organizations are the ones that continue to climb. That beautiful analogy, and
0: and where would you say that we have encountered the most resistance? No, we're not open to new ideas. We know what we've 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 arrived.
1: Well, that's a, another strange thing, Mick. You don't tend to encounter that resistance from the companies at the top of the ladder. You encounter that resistance from the companies at the bottom of the ladder. The companies. That- oh, that's a... That's a, little, that's a little counterintuitive. Yes, it's, it's very strange. Let me tell you a, a little story about that, mate. I've been playing a game with a particular organization for a, a decade now. This is the best company that I have ever seen. I'm not going to say who they are, but it's a company in Houston. They invite me every 12 or 18 months to come into their organization and see what I can find in terms of improvement. So I go down there. And I go through that place with a fine-toothed comb. I look at absolutely everything I can find with all my 30 years of consulting knowledge to see if I can find something that I can point out this company can do better. And it's really difficult in that organization. It's really difficult. And what I usually come back with for that organization is very, very small incremental things that they... I happen to be wrong on that particular day, if you like. It's not sexy stuff. This is a very, very well-run company. And you might say, well, you know, why are they inviting you to come into their organization and take a look like that? It's because they're such a great company. That's the difference. It's the reason why they are so great is because they are willing to throw the doors open and say, hey, come in here. And tell us what you think we can do better. That's why they're so good. And you can then make the the sort of opposite inference, if you like. The reason why some of these companies at the bottom end of the ladder are not so good is because they have this not-invented-here syndrome. If I didn't come up with it and it's not for my industry, it's no good for me. That's why they're suffering and could be doing so much better.
0: And would you say that there is a a place in the organization where this now is not the right time or not invented here or, no, we're not going to... Does
1: it exist in any particular place? I have a point of view on that. Let's put it this way. I don't tend to get that resistance from folks on the shop floor. I tend to get that resistance from the folks in the boardroom.
0: Ah, interesting. I've seen quite a bit in the middle of the organization. Right, so it always you go talk to the shop floor. They're all about improvement. They want to do better. They want to be engaged. They want to give you your ideas. And when we take some of those ideas and package them into an improvement, and then and then take it to the organization who can actually make decisions to allow those improvement exercises to be run, start to get a little bit squeamish and resistant. So I see it at the middle middle management as well as in the boardroom. Typically, if the place is on fire, not literally, but if there's a burning business issue, the boardroom tends to be pretty committed to driving. But if we're doing okay, we're doing reasonably well, we're sitting in the middle of the pack in terms of our peers, they don't seem as agitated to want to drive something new. Because, hey, why should we? We got here doing what we do, so why don't we just keep doing it? Yeah,
1: I'll give you an example and I, and this time I'm going to call out a company just because they would regard themselves as pretty pretty good. We've done some work in the past for ExxonMobil and they are an excellent organization, one of the biggest in the world. We can sing their praises if you like. But what I've noticed about ExxonMobil is that um hire some of the best people in the world. They get to attract some of the brightest and best if you like. One of the things that was is for them and organizations like them if you like is that they tend to think well, we're the best at this and so we don't necessarily need any external help because we've got the best and brightest if you like so that means that they're somewhat averse to getting opinions from outside the organization and when they do seek opinions from outside the organization they tend to want to look at it in terms of here's just this one little thing, this one little thing I'm asking from an, an expert. And once they give me that answer, I don't need any more help. I'll just carry on and do it, if you like. So I've seen that in organizations that are pretty good at what they do is again, that aversion to seeking external help. They don't have necessarily the amount of openness to external ideas as you might expect.
0: Yeah, another example, and I'm drawing my facts and data from the public domain. There's a podcast on This American Life that discusses the company called Numi, N-U-M-M-I, which is New United Manufacturing. It was a joint venture between General Motors and Toyota. And of course, this was in, I think, 1984 where Toyota was producing cars of exceptional quality but were not manufacturing in the US. So the government said, you've got to manufacture cars here. And GM also needed to manufacture small vehicles. So GM and Toyota said, we can work in a plant that used to belong to GM had been closed in Fremont in California. And the benefit would be that GM would learn all about the Toyota production system. And in our previous podcast, we were talking about management operating systems. The Toyota production system is a good example of an operating system that generates, you know, high quality, high productivity, and GM could learn from that. That joint venture produced a number of cars, but was ultimately closed in 2010. And that factory was then sold to Tesla, It's the Tesla gigatory. Now in Fremont, California. But here's the rub. Despite being able to see the crown jewels of the secret of Toyota, General Motors failed to implement these lean manufacturing techniques in the rest of their US business because, hey, those executives who ran that business said, hey, we didn't get here by being stupid. We don't need to do things that differently. So their department of no, their resistance, was very, very significant. And here's the stock takeaway. In the 1960s, General Motors had 50% U.S. market share. Toyota had zero. In 2021, General Motors had dropped from 50% to 17%, and Toyota commanded 15%. So who do you think is improving. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, GM uh, not wanting to pick on GM, but the you know, companies get there because they've been successful, and people want to continue to adopt those successful practices. It's what's got them to the top of the organization, and there's a little bit of pride in there. And when somebody comes in and says, "I've got a better mousetrap," it's very, very hard for some successful people to let go and be a little curious. And that's something that we're always trying to shake things up with our clients to get them to look at things from a different perspective.
1: Absolutely. So as you know, Mick, we conduct for almost all of our engagements, a sort of diagnostic phase. One of the first things that we do is look at the host organization uh, with diagnostic tools to see what it is that's causing their particular issues, if you like. So obviously there are all sorts of studies and metrics and, you know, tools and techniques that we use. But what's not documented, one of the things that's not documented, is one of the things that we're looking for there, is that not invented here mindset. So when I start to hear people on a management team saying things like, oh, that's not going to work here, and oh, we tried that once and it didn't work, and oh, I, I'm not... I, Near these kinds of things, I know, I know at that moment that that organization is an organization that has waste in it. And it's significant because they've instantly dismissed the opportunity. They've just taken it off the table immediately. And because that happens, I know it's there. When an organization says, hey, throw, I'm going to put my dirty laundry on the table, come and take a look. Now I know I've got an organization that is further up the evolutionary ladder that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. That's one of the defining factors, that willingness to air your dirty laundry.
0: I like the expression, if you want to be spectacular, you've got to wear different spectacles. And what our analysis does is it allows us to look and present information from a different lens as often I find that you know strategy lives at the level of words right that's the strategy of the boardroom shareholder value, PowerPoint presentations, earnings calls at the bottom of the organization is that life happens at the level of events. These are the things I have to wrestle with on a day-to-day basis. It's a drama it's human drama every day it can be both exciting, debilitating, depressing energizing all those things so one of the things that you know our analytic does is it takes that visceral drama and brings it into the lens of the boardroom because only the boardroom can make decisions that can change that but often they don't see that information doesn't get percolated up and there are lots of people sometimes in organizations who don't want the decision makers to know how bad it is because they're very comfortable And they're they're fearful of change. That's why we get this, "Mm, no, not invented here. It's a little scary. So in your organization, think about it. When you suggest new things to your people, is their most immediate response? Mm. Not sure about that. We'll have to go away and think about it. Or, hey, that sounds interesting. Tell me a little bit more about it. If you've got more of the former than the latter you've got a department of no, that you need to infect with a little bit more
1: positivity and enthusiasm. Absolutely. It's one of those things, as we said a little earlier, that we look for specifically is the visceral reaction to that external set of ideas. It's a very, very telling thing, but it's also very natural, Mick. I think you've alluded to that at the end of the day. If somebody has spent 20 years in their career doing things a certain way, you know, the way they've learned the rules of baseball and now they're a good baseball player. They're valuable because of the way in which they play baseball. Well, if somebody comes along as an external organization and says, you know what? Baseball, not that sexy. We're going to play soccer now. That's a threat. It's definitely a threat to an individual. I don't know how to play soccer. So whilst I'm a good baseball player, I might be terrible at that and I might lose my position. I might lose my worth. I might even get fired because I don't know how to play that game anymore. But let's be honest. The game in this case is always changing. The rules are always changing. There's a constant flow of inference. Just look at COVID. Just look at the supply chain woes that infected the world over the last few years. Just look at was it GPT and the way these things are affecting our world today. These things are going to be changing constantly. So we have to learn how to be adaptive. We have to learn how to continuously improve and get further up that ladder because that's one of those things that's going to save us ultimately as organizations is getting further up that ladder and being better. You do that, By listening to the external stimuli
0: you situated the external market with the internal you know capability and speed of change jack welsh famously remarked if the rate of change on the outside exceeds the rate of change on the inside the end is near so it's not optional guys you've got to drive change in your organization and if you've got resistors Try and understand their fears, their concerns, and as leaders, you've got to paint a picture of what that changed environment looks like, their role in it, and what it means for them, and they would then be curious enough to walk with you a little way on that journey until they start to feel a little bit
1: more comfortable. So what are our takeaways for today, Brian? One of the first things i will say is, don't be so proud that you can always learn something if you are willing to hear bad news. Uh, the good news doesn't help you. It's the things that we could do better. That's the stuff that actually provides you some opportunity to change. And here's an exercise you could do. Put something you're not proud of on the table in front of your peers, in front of your bosses, in front of subordinates. And see if anybody can help you. You might just be surprised. If you feel like your company is on the lower rungs of the evolutionary ladder, well, your room for improvement is huge. So take some steps to climb. Pun intended. You should be able to make some good if that's what you feel. If you feel like you're higher on the ladder, and almost everybody does, by the way, be ready for some harder climbing. Because the rungs get further apart. And examine your own feelings as a leader. What is it that you don't want mentioned or explored? Those are actually the things that you should be mentioning and exploring as a leader. That's the difficult part. That's why it's tough wearing the crown, right? You have to be willing to put it on the table and let everybody look. Ironically, that might be the best place to start.
0: Yeah. uh, Humility is one of the greatest attributes of the most
1: successful leaders. Absolutely. Yes. They're willing to allow folks to bring them problems. They're willing to take their problems and put them on the table because they know they don't have to have the best solutions. They just need to engage people to help them solve problems. And, And lastly, eliminate the word no
0: from your vocabulary. Don't ever let it get loose so that it becomes an entire department. So, Brian, we come to the end of the episode. You can learn more at audairpartners.com. We have more episodes coming up looking at similar topics, so why not click the follow button to be the first to hear about them? Also, if you like this podcast, leave a rating wherever you listen to your podcast. It helps other people find us too.